showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're listening to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Thank you for listening to the show that celebrates creating and stories, and I am ready to tune our imaginations. I think this is going to be a great show, because I love a good story. If I could, I would live in the land of imagination and story every day. This past week, I went back and visited the library of my childhood, and that was such a great thing to do. I, I encourage everybody to do that because it's, I don't know about you, but that's that was one of my magical places. And when I wandered into the picture book section, for a moment, I briefly hoped that one of my favorite books that I love to check out might be there in the bins. Of course, I knew it wouldn't be there or it wouldn't be able to find it. It would have been years and years and years ago. But I thought about that book a lot. And all I remember, and this is why I'm never going to be able to track it down, is that it's a silly story, and there's one image in there with a boy and a goat, his messy room, and a funny grandmother, and a green umbrella. That is not much to go on, and I can remember uh, working as a bookseller that that's a really hard thing to be able to pull out, so I haven't even asked. Although I did find when I was Googling that there are, in fact, people who they, you know, librarians and People who love kids' books, there are a couple of websites you can post things, and a lot of times they do help you connect with favorite books from childhood. So that's kind of a fun little thing, maybe. But what I remember about it is it was also one of the thickest books in the section, and it had these beautiful inked illustrations. And it probably would have been one of the first books that I read that had different sections, like chapters. And I hope someday to reconnect that with that story. And uh, I just, you know, someday I'll get back to that. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep enjoying lots of stories and my imagination because it's one of the places that makes me the happiest. And every good story should have a surprise for the listener. That's what makes, I think, a good story. It's a twist that entertains. And there's something really satisfying about being a reader that's caught up in the story and then having the experience of being delighted or charmed or spooked or carried away. And we need stories in our lives. And I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love doing Arts Any Radio is because I love sharing these art stories with all of you. And today's story has a really good twist. I think it's really fun. I was um, made, made a connection with an author who also has a connection with Northfield. And I'll get to that story in a minute, but it's a really good one. So today the story comes to you. My guest today is author Dan Jorgensen, and he's going to discuss his new novel, Rainbow Rock, and share stories about his connections to Northfield. And his publisher is Speaking Volumes. You can get more information on that website. 
and he is, of course, a native Minnesotan, and he grew up in South Dakota. He attended a one-room country school and was the first member of his family to attend college, earning degrees in journalism and public relations from South Dakota State University, and he also did work on creative writing and film at Colorado State University. He's a U.S. Army infantry veteran, an honor graduate from the U.S. Defense Information School. He's had a very long career as a writer, editor, educator. He's won awards for all of these fields. He's the author of eight books, three songs, and a one-act play, and has written many stories on the news, sports, and features, um, and on journalism and public, both as a journalist and in public relations. And this really intrigues me. He's, he's a frequent presenter on the topics of storytelling, from journalism to creative writing, and the writing life. Dan and his wife currently live in Millican, Colorado, and I'm going to welcome him to Art Zany Radio. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you for. We kind of made it was a, a wonderful twist of fate that we made the connection. You happened to contact the radio station, and I had an opening for this week, and it all it's like the stars lined up. <laughs> it was like the stars lined, no doubt about it. <laughs> so, and I was looking at um, next. If it would have been next Friday, I wouldn't have been able to do it because I'm on my way to the Black Hills, where which is the setting for my newest book, which by the way is book number nine. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. That's an, So the one, you've had eight, and now the one we're going to talk about, Rainbow Rock, is nine, right? Nine, and it's just on the market for one week, so it's been great That's having it, it out. Uh, this is absolutely the first uh, interview I've done about the book. So oh, how exciting. It's, <laughs> so far, so we have a premiere here on, on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that and, and two dollars and fifty cents will buy you a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about yourself. You have connections to Northfield, so there may be some of our listeners who recognize the name. Tell us a little bit about your world uh, then and now. Well, yeah, there um, I have a deep connections to Northfield. My, um, I came there in late nineteen eighty three to work for St. Olaf College in public relations and. Um, my wife Susan and I lived there and raised our family there and were there for 30 years before retiring in 2013 and moving out here to live in Colorado. Um, anyway, it's uh, in, and we had all those years there of uh, being involved with things with St. Olaf and being involved in the community. Uh, we, both of us were very active in the Northfield Arts Guild Theater and Musical Theater, and as were our children. and. Our kids were active in sports, so we went and met a lot of people through that. And uh, gosh, there's just and I was in the Rotary Club too, so did a lot with the Rotary and the United Way there in Northfield. For a couple of years, I headed up the United Way drive. Uh, so uh, very, very busy background in Northfield, and we loved every minute of it. Oh, that I, I thought there might be a connection. And tell me about some of the plays you were in, and because I feel like that might have been where I remember uh, connecting with you. Well, could be. We uh, we started, I think, the very first big play that, that we did, the whole family who was involved in was The Music Man. And uh, and uh, when I, we did it twice, actually. I I was uh, Charlie Cowell, the anvil salesman, and Susan, my wife, was the uh, Eulalie McKechnie Shin character, the mayor's <laughs> wife. And, and then the kids did kids' roles. And then uh, a few years later, we, we did a bigger production of it under the direction of Kathy Rush out at the uh, high school auditorium and then that 
occasion, uh, I, pl I played the mayor, and, and my wife re reprised her role as uh, the mayor's wife. So, so we had uh, the connection of being married at home and being married on the stage. Oh, that uh, sounds that was fun. Big one. Over the years, I suppose, between us, we've done 50 plays, you know, so oh, it's wow. been amazing. That's uh, uh, no wonder the name is familiar, and you certainly uh, have you continued doing plays? What since you've moved out to Colorado? Uh, we haven't. Um, the, the, here where we live, we live in a little uh, community, Millican. It's not little, I guess. It's um, about eight thousand people. But we we are uh, we we kind of have a connection between uh, us and a neighboring town called Johnstown, which is similar to the Northfield Dundas connection of being close together, you know, mm -hmm. and, and separate communities, but kind of a combined community. And But believe it or not, they don't have a community theater. And between the two communities, there's over 20,000 people, but just like the Northfield Dundas area. But but um, maybe in the future, we'll have to wait and see. We Right now, we, we would have to drive like up to Fort Collins or uh, to Greeley or Loveland or a place like that. Those are the biggest communities near us and we just haven't had the opportunity to get involved but we we attend theater yet <laughs> so we do that <laughs> what pulled you away from northfield to, out to colorado well my, my youngest daughter becky and her family uh, settled out here in uh, uh, like 2008 i think it was and and uh, she, she had a, a baby who was an extreme preemie and um needed uh, daycare at home for a while and so we thought well we were about to retire anyway we would move out here and be close to her and her family and help take care of the baby you know when he was home and and uh, that's kind of what we did the first year we were out here and then we just uh, we sold our house in Northfield and continued to stay out here um, we have an uh, older older daughter Carrie and her family but they they live out in Virginia and uh, and their work she both her and her husband do a lot of uh, international traveling with mercy corps and so they're on the road a lot and uh, out, out living in other parts of the world so we knew we wouldn't be living close to them and so we wanted to re be close to one of the families and that's how what brought us here in the first place so that makes um, sense yeah well I, I, it's great that you're coming back to us through art zany radio and you can share a little bit more of your story because i'm sure there are lots of people that have had uh connections to you and i would imagine you're someone who loves stories i'm guessing with all the theater that you've done and the writing that you've done public relations uh tell yeah. me wh why you love stories and what what stories mean to you well, you know, it's just like what you said when you were a child, you know, the, 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 the moving into the world of imagination. And, and that, that was true for me, too. I mean, I, uh, my mom always used to say when I was really little that uh, I could, she could always tell where, and then she called me Danny, where Danny is at, because I just look around to wherever the book is held up in the air, and he's behind it, <laughs> and sitting there watching, reading, and, uh, you know, I, we didn't have television when I was a kid, and uh, we had the radio, so we'd listen to stories on the radio, and then we would read books, and I started reading when I was like four and a half or five years old, because it was such a great thing to do, and move into a world that I couldn't be in myself. I was in this little community out in South Dakota growing up, and um, or on the farm a lot of the time, and and that to escape into another world, I mean, that was amazing, and that's just exactly what I, I found that uh, reading did for me. It 
took me into whole new places. I, I dreamed and dreamed of going all these places and seeing some of these spots in the world and uh, books, books allowed that to happen. So we had that in common. Cause that would have been my, my growing up too. just my nose in a book. <laughs> oh man. I tell you, and my, and my, it's kind of gone through the generations. I know I saw it with my own kids and my oldest grandson now, uh, he's the same way. My my daughter said he must have inherited that from you, Dad, because he's always reading a book, <laughs> and he's he's uh, you know he's got a great reader, and he's starting to do some writing at age twelve. So you know, he, I guess it's moving on through the generations. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I would love to see that. And one of the things that intrigued me about your bio was that you've done some presentations on storytelling. And uh, how I'd love to hear a little bit about that and what, uh, you know, you've learned about the craft of creating story. Yeah, I well, as I started writing, I, you know, I started out as a when I went to college, I went to study journalism and I really was interested in, in that. I'm surprised, I guess, at myself for not being more interested in creative writing at the time. But at the time, I, I really thought I wanted to be a newspaper person and, and, and I was and and I. I got involved in, in writing, uh, you know, news and feature stories. And, but, uh, I, when I got out here, I came out to, to Colorado state university for a graduate program. And, uh, while I was there, I, I took a class in creative writing and that really opened my eyes to that as the telling of stories, you know, that are not necessarily, uh, based entirely on what's just happened in front of you in the world, but something that you can, imagine in your mind and then put down on paper and and that's that's how i got started with that uh storytelling and and i i come from a family uh background where stories telling stories that at you know in the evenings and stuff like i said we didn't have television for a long time while i was a kid and my dad used to that night before we get ready to go to bed he'd say well let's go uh sit down and i'll tell you a story you know and he'd he'd tell stories about things out of the history of his family or out of the things that uh, he learned and learned as a kid or heard the fun, fun adventure stories and things like that. And I always thought, boy, that's, that's amazing to be able to do that. And we kids were just mesmerized by it. We'd sit around and listen to him at his feet, you know, and, and it, it really did help us. Sometimes it helped us get to bed. Other nights we were left so thrilled by the story that we couldn't get to sleep. You know? oh. But, <laughs> But, but that's that's kind of how it how the the genesis of that came about, and I put the two together. You know that background I had as a young boy and growing up, and then with that creative writing class that I took, really re-sparked my interest in that. And I, I actually wrote my first book in that class, and then uh, continued to go with it from there as as a side thing, more or less, because I I had my full time career going first in journalism and then in public relations for education and especially when I got to St. Olaf I mean there's plenty to do at St. Olaf without sitting there writing books for myself (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's how how I got going. Well I can imagine I've I've found in in the years over I've done those interviews that a lot of people who have a background in journalism are you know, make great authors of fiction books. And and I think, and you can tell me what you think about this, that a lot of that has to do with the discipline of writing every day, writing on deadline, you know, the, the idea that you have to keep producing 
uh, that, that, that you don't get stuck. You always are able to come up with a something because you're used to that, that production of words on the page. Is that, did well, that follow true for you? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, you know, the, uh, you're always writing on deadline. In, in journalism, you don't have any option. You, you go out, you cover the story, you come back. It's got to be that uh, people don't want to hear the story tomorrow or a week from now. They want to hear it now. And so you've got to get, get it ready. But so I learned to write fast in that regard and, you know, get the facts in there. Um, but the same thing pretty much does hold true for creative writing because, uh, you know, the publisher, they want a book from you. They've signed you to do a book and they want you to get a book to them. And um, you can't just say, oh, well, gee, today I think um, or this week, I think I'll take a few days off and not do anything. Uh, that doesn't work. <laughs> and And, you know, you. You're only per, pretty much in in creative writing as good as your the next thing you produce, be, because as soon as you get something done, and the 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 most heard words by an author are, gosh, what what are you going to do next? <laughs> I know. I try never to ask that question unless I know they're working on something, and but I do going i can talk to you about that later here <laughs> <laughs> well because it is it feels like you know you invest probably years in order to get each book to the you know finished product where you can talk about it and it's available for sale and you know to think about well what you know or if you read it, somebody reads it and they're like you know that took me a few days and now i want you to have another one <laughs> well, that's, that's right i had a uh, actually the very first review that came onto amazon from this person said I, I couldn't put it down and 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 I thought well that's great and then and then I actually uh, I, you know I, I'd leave my email out there for people that they want to send me notes or whatever and he, and this guy sent me a note and he said I absolutely I wasn't just saying that in print I couldn't put it down he said and I read straight through for like 12 hours you oh know? wow <laughs> and I went wow well that's 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 encouraging you know that you liked it that much so it's great but you know that that's right then he's done, and he said, "What do you?" Then those dreaded words came up. So, what do you got next? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a fan, and that's the way uh, to look at it. And, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Paula Grandcrest. I'm here on Art Zany Radio with Dan Jorgensen. We are going to talk about his new novel, Rainbow Rock, which is the ninth novel of his. This is my first novel that I've I've read of yours. And uh, I'd love to hear the story of the origins of, of this book. There's um, Rainbow Rock, I think, is a real place, uh, although the name yep. you've given it is um, what what characters called it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is a, for people who, uh, the, my last two books have been set in the Black Hills, uh, and The Wind Whispered uh, came out in uh, 2015, and that was a historical fiction novel set in the southern black hills and and then rainbow rock sort of grew out of that in a way it's it's in the same general area and there's a a place that locals know along a place called spring creek that that they call rainbow rock because you go up on there and you look down down on the creek and in certain times of the day, when the sun comes through the mist, it forms little rainbows along the uh, the creek, <clears throat> and so that's that's they call it Rainbow Rock because not because the rock looks like a rainbow or there's any rainbow coming out of it, but because you can see the rainbows from there. But the, but the other thing about the Rainbow Rock is uh, South Dakota's uh, state gemstone is the Fairburn agate, 
And the Fairburn agate is in an area there in the southern Black Hills. It's the only place you can really find it in, in the Black Hills area or in the state, as far as that goes. And, and it's, it's a rainbow-colored rock. The, there's, there's bands of bright colors all through it. Um, agates normally are that way anyway, but the Fairburn agate has distinctive colors. And people, locals, and especially the Native Americans, call it the rainbow rock. And so that plays a big role in this book. Um, this area where, where you can find the Fairburn agate is a pretty rugged uh, area where people could hide out or there'd be chase scenes or things like that. And, uh, and I always thought about that would be a good location to stage some of what I would write if I was going to ever write this book. And so the Rainbow Rock is, has a dual meaning in this case. It's, it's a rock and it's a place. Yeah, I was have to say, I I used to go collecting agates with my dad all the time. We used to oh. go out by the gravel yards and uh, we would, you know, have Saturday mornings go poking around. And I think as a kid, I didn't quite appreciate it as much as I do now looking back. Uh, it, but, you know, we found some spectacular agates. And in your book, at the end, there's a, a picture of what this uh, type of agate, I have never seen anything like this. It is so <laughs> spectacular. I was just, it just really got me excited about, you know, what it looks like and, and to discover that it's something that only, it really only is from that place. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and and um, and it, it's the Fairburn agate fields. You know, people come from all over the world really to to search for the agates, and finding them is pretty rare. Like only one in about eight hundred people find one when they're out there. Wow! But but but, but, but just walking through the area is worth the trip in itself, as far as that goes. So, but they are spectacular. They're really amazing, and and I had uh, uh, some consultation with. Uh, some native friends who are from that area and you know one of them had had a uh, fairburn agate and he was showing it to me and how it how it they they look upon it as a protector stone if you have one it protects you from all kinds of maladies everything from illnesses to danger from people trying to hurt you or whatever and and so um when i saw it i thought huh this is this has got to be part of my book <laughs> somehow or other yeah, so that's, it, that's I mean that's really spectacular, and so just even learning just that little bit was exciting for me. And this story is uh, clear that you have a connection to this this land because I, I think it it comes through in the writing that that you um, love this place, that you know this place, that um, you can write with great detail, and you know uh, it makes it come to life for us. And so I, I guess that makes sense. Then the other of, of your books have been set in there. And uh, the, but the thing that I found really interesting is that this is set in the 1950s. I don't know if the other books yeah. are, and I kept finding myself just being amazed at uh, you know, how far the technologies have come, and so that yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to that mindset of being in the 1950s and like, oh yeah, you can't just make a call or look it up on a you know map in your car, or uh, you know th that there's a lot of things that don't get solved. Because, you know, the assistance that we have now with technology uh, is just amazing. So how did it feel to go back into that mindset of the 1950s and kind of get those details right? Well, it was it was an interesting process. I'll tell you, I did grow up. I was a kid in the 1950s, so I had that background. But the other thing was just to think about 
you know, you find yourself always wanting to uh, grab a cell phone, as you yeah. say, <laughs> and, and, and you can't do that. You have to say, okay, where would the next phone booth have been? Yes. Or, uh, where, where could the, my, my one protagonist is a marshal who I named Al Tucro. Where would Al Tucro go to get a phone to call in and, and make sure that something happened? Well, he'd have to go lo- locate it because he couldn't do it. He might be able to call on his radio from his police car, but otherwise he's got to get to a place where he can pick up, physically pick up a phone. Mm-hmm. And and so that was interesting. And then and I started looking, too, back to what would they have been eating or how would you take out a cup of coffee? They didn't have, you know, coffee cup to go cups, really. <laughs> you, you'd have to, you know, in one, one scene, uh, guy goes in to get some coffee to take out well he carries his own thermos with him because that's what they had to do he had to do that you couldn't uh you couldn't just pick up a cup of coffee and take it out that they would take their cup if he did that and that would not be possible so those kinds of little things and i i found uh, uh, some advertising things like for seven up and coca-cola and stuff mm-hmm. and would they have been on the walls in a cafe yes probably and and so you know what would they say, and how would you, how would how would the characters react to seeing those? And those are the kinds of things that that I had to think about and 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 put together. So, uh, I, you talked about the, pro, the how long it takes. You know, it, it takes me about five years to write a book. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a I'm a slow writer. At the pace I'm going, I'm hoping I get a couple more before <laughs> before my <laughs> life is over. But that, you know, it's about a five year process for me. I I tell tell people when I'm out speaking that. Yeah, every five years, like it or not, I come up with another book, you know. But <laughs> well, but you can like... tell when I'm reading it that you've done that work to authenticate some of those things and solve some of those problems. We should uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the story because the story begins with a, a friend receiving a call about another friend who is in big trouble, and yeah. uh, that it pulls you in right away as soon as as soon as you open the book. There's a, a great opening scene. And this is um, uh, so. So they have to drive. It's about half an hour away. And I love. There's a phone booth in that opening scene, and it just made me sort of giggle, right, to think about you know phone booths and how you know hard it would be if you're in trouble to try and nobody can track you. Nobody can. Um, you know, you can't stay on the line while while you're running. <laughs> you have. Yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> and exactly. And these. You can't- Find some place and talk. Whisper into your cell phone. You know, you need to come and get me right now because I I'm in deep trouble here. He, he had to say that and then get into hiding after saying it because uh, there he was in deep trouble and and that's kind of the premise of the, the the story and the rest of the story is built around the people that this young man is calling for help trying to figure out what actually happened to him and you know we the readers know right away what happened to this guy but they don't mm-hmm. uh, his friends and and the law the lawman and this reporter i created uh, uh maria tager uh, she she and the marshal and the and his best friend don't know what happened to him and they're trying to find out and that's and and we follow the process with them as they go through the story to, to determine what happened to their friend and the friend is named gene darvo and Gene is killed at the beginning. I'm not. There's no. Uh, I'm not spoiling anything here right, because you know that first two pages. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, so and it, 
Go ahead. Well, anyway, so then they, they know that. Or they know he's dead. They just don't know how he's dead. We do. We, the readers, know how he, how he died. And we learned that in the first chapter, and or the first two chapters. And, and then after that, it's up to them to catch up with us, the readers. And so we're following along with them. Well, what if we were this character? How, how would we react? And that's how I kind of built the story around their reactions and how we would cre- we would be walking the walk with them as they as they went to search for these answers. Yeah, it's so. a very fast paced story, and I mean you alternate chapters with the uh, you know the law enforcement story, the the friends of Gene, um, the his friend Frank, and then Gene's uh, sister. Um, oh my gosh, the name just uh, slipped. Uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. yeah, and you know how they're trying to pe- put the pieces together. And one of the intriguing things was uh, both of these uh, boys. I guess they're older boys, but. They're, um, you know, maybe what eighteen, twenty, somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're both one's eighteen and one's nineteen. Yeah, they're right. They're right, they're right. And they're both Native yep. Americans um, in the South yeah. Dakota area. And so one of the the issues is that, uh, you know, Gene Gene dies. Frank discovers him, but he does can't really go to the police because they'll probably set him up for the fall. And I thought that was a really interesting detail of, you know, the position that, that he's put in because of that. You know, I, I, I one, when we were growing up on our farm in South Dakota, um, my family had a, a Native American family friend who always would say things like that. You know, I have to be really careful um, when we do things because I'm susceptible to being charged with doing that, even if I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I took from that. And then when I, I worked as a reporter of, out in the Black Hills, first at the Hot Spring Star and then at the Rapid City Journal, I, I heard that many times from uh, Native people. We have to be so careful because um, we may or may not be guilty, but we're definitely going to be considered guilty until proven innocent. It's not the other way around. So that's kind of where I, I built that out of. And, uh, and, and Frank, Gene's friend is, is feels he's in that situation all the time. And, and Gene's sister, Elizabeth says the same thing. You've got to be really careful because if you, if you go in there and start reporting these things that, you know, they're going to say, how do you know that? You know, you're, you're, you must be guilty. You must be the one that had something to do with it. So that's how I built that. Yeah, and I think what reading it and knowing that it was set in the 1950s, it made me really sad that not a lot has changed, you know, between that's years, 70 years ago. And um, that that's just really disheartening. But, it, you know, it's it's the truth, right? So true. And I, 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 I wanted I said it in the 50s. Uh, also because it was a time when there, there was some some drug trafficking problems going on in the Black Hills, and I, I had learned about that um, when I was a reporter as well. So uh, those were things that I, I, I created this file folder sort of, of ideas for writing creatively, and um, if I ever got back to it, and one of them was don't forget about the drug issues that were going on, and maybe that can be tied into a story, and that's I. And it was during the 1950s, so I, there was a big methamphetamine problem at that point, and it all had kind of grown out of World War II and and, and the Korean War. <laughs> a lot of people don't know this, but 
but during World War II and the Korean War, there there was a a use of meth, methamphetamine that was kind of casual by uh, the, even the government thought hey, this will keep our troops alert if we give them these things. And, well, after they got out, they kept the habit, you know, which is a bad deal. So yeah, that's where that. I found that to be another very fascinating element of the book because I hadn't you know made the connection that 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 had originated and and at first when I was reading it, I thought well that must just be something he made up but then at the end you tell have in the appendix you have the details about how that really was a true element of yeah the yeah. Um, I, I, I tell people to be sure to read the afterword in both and the wind whispered and in uh, uh, rainbow rock because there's uh, I, I, I'd say what's fact and what's fiction and, and that's where I put those together. So, um, and yeah, that's an interesting thing I had found out too, and I didn't know that either until that. Until I started to research this book, that is a really an incredible story element because you can imagine how that could corrupt people who want to continue, you know, uh, expanding their market and you know continue yeah. to uh, keep making the, making their money off of this and. Finding new um, audiences, if you will, for for this highly addictive drug that I can't. I mean, it's just unfathomable that somebody would think this is a good idea. Let's keep giving yeah. it to people. <laughs> yeah, this is a good idea. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> no, and so that's that's another tension within the story is that you have. Um, this this drug trade going on, and you have so you're trying to figure out. You know, uh, the audience, the readers know a little bit, but the people in the story are trying to figure out. You know, what's the real story? Who's the good guy? You know, how how are we going to solve who killed Jean? Uh, is and I'm curious in far as far as structuring the novel, um, how long did it take to figure out how to, you know, tell those stories and interweave those pieces so that it you know flowed so easily for the reader as we just raced through what was happening. Well, it took a couple of years actually. I you know I I I, I had the, the that uh, point that I use of start starting for the novel was actually going to be probably chapter seven or eight. Oh. You know, I was gonna I was gonna lead into it more, and and then um, one of the one of the beauties of modern technology, of course, is being able to move big blocks of type around on your. <laughs> you know, just highlight something, copy and paste it. And I started thinking maybe maybe this needs to to be to the front, and then go back and tell how it got to that point. And that, that's what it ultimately ended up with. But it, it took me probably between two and three years before I had all the elements that I wanted, I, 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 who my characters were going to be. My, my Maria Tager character, who I think is a major character, she's a young reporter who is working out there who had moved out from the East Coast. She's um, a dynamo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and she and she was a guy to start with in my oh. first draft of this, and and I thought, you no, know, it doesn't work with this reporter being a guy. I need to have to, in order to create some of the tension that I need. She needs it needs to be a woman, and it needs to be a young woman, and she needs to have some kind of connection, especially to the old marshal Al Tucro, and and uh, so I that was another thing. I said, okay, how am I going to develop that? And so. In the, I, I keep going back to my other book, but and the wind whispered has Al Tucro, and it has Maria's great aunt and her grandmother, ah. and in, 
as young people at, at the same age that Maria is now. And so there's that connection back and forth between young women who were my age 50 years ago and, and, and now, and, and this old Marshall who was my grandmother's and aunt's friend as a teenager and, and, and then trying to tie them all together in the modern day, which in the modern day in this book is 1955. So I think I kind of randomly selected 55 because I really wanted, I really wanted to say something about the song rock around the clock. (laughs) Just down the, just out hitting the airwaves. And, and there was this big radio station we all used to listen to when I was a teenager uh, called KOMA out of Oklahoma City. It was called Coma, and they, all the hits from Coma, and, and they really got their start around 1955 doing rock and roll music that teenagers would listen to. And, and so I thought, okay, I want to get Coma in there, and I want to get Rock Around the Clock and, and all of that. So it gave me a chance to do that. And then so, it made although, it in. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Yeah, that, and, and uh, all those details are, I, uh, so that's interesting that then you have characters that sort of, do. You, is this a series to you? Is this, do you think that the interrelated books are? I think, yeah, yeah, um, um, I, I, I originally didn't think that, but now I, I'm, I think so. Um, the publisher, when they released uh, um, Rainbow Rock, the, the last sentence they sent to me, as I say, you know, congratulations, and by the way, we think that Al Tucro is an ongoing character, and you ought to find other ways to use him in books. Um, like Al Tucro, Lakota lawman, he's a deputy marshal, mm-hmm. and uh, and so um, I kind of li- and I like that idea. And my next book is going to be set in the 1920s, 1927, to be precise, because it's built. It's being set in the area where they're just starting to get ready to carve Mount Rushmore, and so I. I I can make El Tucro a, a nice uh, 35-year-old deputy marshal at that point, or 40-year-old deputy marshal, and because he, I've already established that he is that in this book. So, and I've got earlier establishment of him in as a young man in and the wind whispered. So, you know, I might as well, might as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. And that's, that's very exciting. Cause you know, it's clear that you, uh, enjoy this place that you are, uh, reflecting that and, and you've done your homework, right. To, to be able to, to make this, um, you know, feel, feel real and alive and, and just what, just what a reader wants, right. D- just enough detail and a little bit of history. And so we learn something and the characters are really intriguing. You've got great backstories I was thinking about um, when you're you're writing about um, some some of these characters, both you know Jean and Frank, and then um, Marshall Tucro. Did you you mentioned in in the afterward that you had some help with um, you know helping to to uh, create those characters authentically? Tell me about uh, that that that's really important. Well, the the. Um we, we actually, my wife and I were really good friends in Hot Springs with uh, with Al Albert Tucro. Um, this this young the character is named Alvin Tucro, but but it's Tucro uh, is someone we knew uh, well, and we learned a lot of things from him. But I I knew a lot of other uh, Native American leaders and people who. Um, who were not only elders, but just ordinary people who we would interact with on a daily basis. Because uh, there's two, there's a really major uh, 
Lakota reservation there, the Pine Ridge Reservation, right there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would, as a reporter, I was going out there often to do stories and things, and I would um, like go to the trading post on the edge of the reservation, or I'd be out uh, walking getting a ride with a native uh, ranger to go out and explore something that I needed to write about. And they'd always be telling me stories, and we we were talking about terms that you could use, uh, different Lakota words and stuff for things. And so that's where that all grew out of. Uh, and then I, I met this woman um, who I was going to write a feature story about, and she said, you know, we've, we've been in Hot Springs for a long time, since the mid-50s, when my brother was murdered. And mm-hmm. I went, your brother was murdered? And she said, yeah, he was he, he was kind of caught up in the drug trade. And that's the first time I'd heard a little bit about that. And he wasn't involved personally, but he got murdered because of it. And they never found his killers. And so she said, and then she told me a little bit more about that, and I but I was writing the story about her for some other thing, you know. And so then uh, I moved away, and we moved to Northfield and lived. And <laughs> and when I went back there, she was no longer there. And I I never did figure find out where she moved to or if she died or whatever. Um, but that's where I, I first kind of heard the story about the young man being killed in the drug trade who was Native American. And it was his sister living in hot springs and so i had that connection right there but there were other many other uh, uh my wife and i uh, at one point took a group of this is you talk about being masochistic we took 13 13 year old native american girls to a native american youth leadership conference and we drove from the black hills all the way down to tucson arizona with 13 13 year olds and i tell you that was an experience <laughs> <laughs> I get just any group of teenage girls. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but but these were all from three different reservations, and a lot of them were just meeting each other for the first time, and then uh, all they were going to, first big, long trip, and they were going to do all these things, and we had two minivans, and we were driving them in, and oh my goodness, it was it was quite an experience, <laughs> a three-day trip each way, and plus being on the, on the location, and uh, we and we got tons of stories from them. We still stay in touch with some of those girls. They're now, you know, they're they're now grandmothers themselves. Some of them are. So, so that was another another tie-in that we had. So anyway, that's how we made the the Native American connection, and got a lot of the things that I was able to use in this book. Yeah, oh, that's I love the way that you've taken those little bits that, you know, and, and you kept the file folder. I think that's a really important thing if you want to write to sort of plant those little seeds and you know imagine what stories might grow. And they take time to grow, and they do. And 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 they take time to sort of make those connections. And tell me about creating the characters' backstories because I I found them all really uh, well developed and you know kind of a, each each of them has their. Uh, troubles and their, you know, ways of of being that that are distinct. You've done a really great job. Well, thank you. I yeah, I, it's kind of again built, uh, and I advise anybody interested in doing writing like this to to start to think about that. Your character isn't just in the moment. Um, you've got to think about where did this character come from, and how how did she or he get to this point that you've got them in your book, and 
And so I always sit down with a couple of pages, uh, blank pages with each of my characters. And then I just start to, to say, okay, what would this character have been doing maybe, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or five years, whatever. And then, you know, what, what would, how would they have gotten to this point? And then jot those things down. And I, I, I still am old fashioned in that I keep those kinds of notes in longhand, you know, and I write them down. And once I have built uh, what I feel is a plausible character, then I can start to put that character, plug that character into my story. And um, it's, it's been interesting. Like with Tucro, he's 79 years old in this book, but I had him in the first book that I wrote. He was 19. And, um, and in that book, I'd already created kind of a backstory for him. And, and now I've had to decide what happened to him between the age of 19 and now. And, and what would he have done at various points and then bring those into the story. So, and for Maria, um, you know, I'm not a, a 20-year-old <laughs> reporter. <laughs> and I, I've got to figure out what would a young woman, and, and a part of that for me is good. I, I was a girls' uh, sports coach for many years. I coached uh, basketball and soccer, you know, not, and not soccer really. I, I, I helped a little bit with that, but I, I coached basketball, girls basketball for many years. And um, the girls would always tell me stories about their background and stuff. And, you know, you go on these long bus, bus rides to games and stuff and, and you get everybody's story. And I, and I, everybody's story kind of became uh, background information for Maria's story. So, or, or for any young woman in my, my books, um, I've got three key young women in, in, and the wind whispered and the same thing for them. So, you know, you just, you assimilate things if you're a writer and, and uh, you put it on that shelf. You know, I say I've got a big, dusty shelf in my brain <laughs> it's, got, it's got all these little books of things on them and every once in a while i can go into the dusty shelf and pull the book out and look at it again and say okay i remember now and you know, it's getting harder to do that as i get older but it's still there <laughs> well we're lucky that you're able to do that because it's a, a a really great story and it's um full of all kinds of, of great details and characters and uh, so this one is about Jean's murder and figuring out who, you know, how they, how they can find out what happened to their friend. I guess you should tell us a little bit about the, the plot in The Wind Whispered because we, we mentioned that a couple of times and people might also want to yeah. pick up that book. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. I, I think it's been uh, on, it's in a new edition too right now, a brand new edition. And, um, uh, in a little larger, what they call a quality book paperback format now, and and uh, beautiful new cover. I really love it. The anyway, the and the wind whispered is set in 1894, and and that uh, grew out of the fact that uh, I was working in Hot Springs, and I I'd often heard about things that happened when people would come there. It was a spa resort sort of community. And people from back east or even different parts of the west would congregate there for the healing waters and relaxation and getting together. And right about the early 1890s, there was also this kind of a vicious outlaw gang operating out of the area hmm. and called the Curly Gang. And they were they were uh, causing problems for everybody and were holding up trains and a lot of these people would come into the community via train in those days and 
And um, so I thought, well, there's a connection there between those and maybe a train robbery that could be built into a larger story. And then Wind Cave is right north of Hot Springs, and it's a gigantic uh, national park uh, cave, one of the largest underground caves next to Mammoth Cave in the country. And I thought, well, what if they found somebody murdered in that cave? And so I ultimately I created the opportunity for these two young uh, sisters, young meaning in their late teens, who are interested in journalism and being reporters, and their friend Al Tucro finding mm-hmm. this body in the cave. And that's how the, that story starts. And they they go back and try to figure out what what's going on with this person and how this person ended up dead in wind cave and the title and the wind whispered comes out of the fact that um, the native americans have a belief that uh, their universe was created by the great spirit moving under the sacred black hills and emerging out of wind cave the the wind goes out of wind cave in the morning uh, because of atmospheric pressure, and it goes back in at night as the pressure yeah. changes. So the, the wind whispers sort of as it moves out and in. And the, one of the, my Native American friends always said, yes, and the wind whispers when it goes in and out of Wind Cave. And I went, oh, that's a good title for a book. <laughs> so so that's – and then uh, I have among my famous characters, I have uh, Nellie Bly, the, gr- the great reporter out of – I love Nellie of- Bly. <laughs> Go ahead and tell the story, but my, that's a she's she's an amazing character from history. Well, and that was her that was her title, you know, the amazing Nellie Bly, and she she uh, she did actually come there. And while she was while she was there, she met the guy that would become her husband that he met on the train, and uh, and that that's part of my story. And and that's Wild a true Bill, detail. Buffalo Bill Hickok and Annie Oakley, they were there, and and I. I bring in a young Will Rogers, who's only 16 at the time, and also William Allen White, the very famous reporter, journalist out of Kansas, and he helped all these people come together in Hot Springs and help solve who killed this guy in the cave and and also help put a stop to this outlaw gang that's terrorizing the community. So that's that's that story. Seth Bullock is there. Theodore Roosevelt's in the book. <laughs> oh wow! You really have brought uh, history to life. <laughs> it's a who's it's a who's who in the old west, and but it it, it got great reviews and um, uh, one one uh, it's called the reader's favorite reviewer service. They said uh, bringing these characters together in this way was uh, really a novel. Sorry for the pun on the word, but <laughs> novel idea and, and and works really well. So I was glad for that. So yeah. Yeah. That's how that first book came about. That's fascinating, and that's a, a great plug for, for that book, too. Folks, this is Paula Grandquist, and we're here on Art Zany Radio. A lot of people there in in uh, Northfield would know about that, and, and um, I, I did come back there at the time that that book first came out, and, and we did some um, book signings, and, and I and made a presentation to the Rotary and stuff like that. So what? Uh, I'd like to end of this book so yeah i was going to ask that question do you think you'll be returning back to northfield i think so you know and probably later in the year but i I definitely would like to come and spend a few days and and maybe do something you know and maybe with content bookstore and and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
and then do something uh, maybe up at St. Olaf in, in, and with the Rotary. I'm a, I'm a Rotarian for years and years, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that that would be fantastic. You'll have to keep us posted, and I'll be sure to let folks know that, that you might be coming. So we'll look for that. That will give chance for people to read Rainbow Rock. And I think you can read them, you know, I, I hadn't read the prior one and, and felt very comfortable just, as, you know, getting into the lives of these characters. And uh, the Oh, prior- yeah, they're they stand alone. The books stand alone. You don't have to read one first or the other first. They, 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 each, have, they each have their own uh, story and there, there. While there may be some couple of characters that are in both books, they each are individually set books. So yeah, they're they're good. And and then and, and you can get the books. I mean, you could order. I know you can get Rainbow Rock through content. Um, and the Wind Whispered is out. They're both out nationally on all different uh, all the different platforms and especially ebook platforms for people who like to read on ebooks. Um, print versions you know places like uh the bookstores and the barnes and noble and places like that have them um um i think content might not be able to order and the wind whispered regularly i mean they might i i shouldn't say they can't but they uh it's it's an amazon uh printed book this time so mm. the new version but but the, the other one rainbow rock is they're both by the same publisher, so I don't understand how that the ins and outs of that. But but, but anyway, uh, but but Rainbow Rock is definitely available everywhere, and you can pick it up there or online or any way that you feel comfortable doing that. That's so. exciting to to be able to have that out and to be able to talk about it. And if you come back yeah. to Northfield, what are some of the places you're gonna want to visit, or the places that you miss, or or want to check in on? Well, we miss both colleges, of course. They're wonderful, and and we used to have a big connection. That we in you know still do. I mean, we were so sorry when the hotel burned down because oh. well, we were always friends with people that that uh, ran the place and did things there, and um, and so that was sad. The Oli store, and mm-hmm. and we had lots of friends in in living in Northfield yet, and we so we in Dundas and and that whole area. So we certainly want to see all those people again um my daughter youngest daughter the one that lives out here in colorado she's a graduate of carlton so i i was my wife and i were working at st olaf and she went to carlton so that was why not right (laughs) (laughs) well that's that's lucky because i always worry that i'd love for my kids to go to either st olaf or carlton but i think because we live here sometimes i wonder if they just venture out into the world well, that's what we were saying too. And the, the youngest one said when she was starting to look at colleges, you know, I'm looking everywhere. You know, we will go around. And then she, I, somebody said to her, "Well, you ought to at least check out the local schools." So she kind of looked. She didn't need to stay at St. Olaf. She knew we'd been up there with us many times. But she said, "Well, I'll go stay at Carlton and see what I think." And she was there for a couple of nights, and she came home and said, "I'm going to Carlton." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I hope you keep your connections to Northfield and uh, do come visit us and let us know so we can all get together and talk about uh, Rainbow Rock and, and maybe the, the next one that you're writing. You said it's going to be set in the 20s. That'll be a really intriguing time as well to explore. So thank you so much for being here today. 
Well, thank you, Paul. I really appreciated it, and, and I'm glad you've been reading it, So, and I'm glad you liked it. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It is a um, you know, page-turner, and, and that's, a, that's a great thing. You want to, As a reader, you want to be drawn into the story and wondering what's going to happen and, and uh, living, living through these characters, and you've done a great job doing that. So thank you. Thank you. Well, well greet everyone for me, and, uh, and, and, and uh, hi to Jeff. <laughs> Absolutely. Dan Jorgensen, folks. And again, the new book is Rainbow Rock. I've got a link to the publisher's website on kymnradio.net in our posting for today's interview. Speaking Volumes is the publisher, and you can uh, check out that as well to find out more details or information about ordering, as he mentioned, any, uh, any different version, or check your local bookstore. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Folks, I appreciate you tuning in to Art Zany Radio and for being a part of the show. And I want to give you a quick reminder that um, this is the last weekend at the Paradise Center for the Arts for the La Cage Fond, which I did an interview a couple weeks ago. So that is a show happening. You want to get your tickets for that. Also, I'm reminded from our friend Richard Coleman that the uh, Noontime Organ Concerts start in July. There are, I believe he said, seven of them. And I think it's July 20th, he wanted to point out, he's going to be performing out at the glorious Valley Grove Church uh, on a restored 1910 pipe organ. So hope you'll put that on your calendar and check out lots of the things happening. Make sure you take advantage of the beautiful summer in Minnesota. This is Art Zany Radio. Please remember to add some Art Zany to your life. And of course, in the meantime, until next time, enjoy your imagination. You've been listening to Art Zany, radio for the imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507 332 7372 It's time to bring back the fun.